0: Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 38. Luke 1 26 through 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. That holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. With God, nothing shall be impossible. And so Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I'm entitling today's message, If Mary Said No. What if Mary said no? I told the Lord, Lord, it's sort of odd to preach on a hypothetical like this. (laughs) And it's even more odd to come at it from a negative viewpoint And he said, well, you've never been normal, Lena, so why worry about that now? You know, we got a prophetic word one time. Somebody called us out. Prophetic man, powerful man of God, Dale Gentry. And he goes, you want to go a normal course, but God says, you're not normal. You've never been normal, and you won't be normal. So once we knew that God was saying that about us, we just spun a positive on it, and we said, okay, we don't want to be weird, but we sure won't settle for normal. Not everything is going to be normal in your life, because who is the standard of normal? Normal. It is not normal that a virgin should conceive. It is not normal that an angel should appear to you and tell you about your future. Many things are not normal in the kingdom of God. My favorite scripture that I've told many of you, it's a little short one, is John 2, 5, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. But what if Mary said no? There are just times when it seems unreasonable for all of us to do what God is saying to do. Maybe it's just hard to imagine. Maybe it's hard to picture yourself doing that. Maybe it doesn't seem sensible. Maybe your family doesn't like the idea of it. When we started a church, my mother, who was a praise and worship leader at a national women's organization who loved the Lord with all her heart, who because of her witness to me, I went to my initial Bible study where I ended up being born again. She did not like the idea that we were going to start a church. Because Easy was a real estate developer, and it seemed like we were going to now struggle for finances, whereas in his other profession, we wouldn't. And my mother cared about our financial security. So it just didn't seem reasonable to her. And so we got a little pushback on that. There are things that God says to us, and we go, who, us? No, no, pick some big church to do that, not us. When he came to us and said uh, it was... Easy had been saying, we're going to do stadium events with young people. And it was in the 1999, and we had tried to get the Mercer Stadium over here. It seats 10,000, and he'd called him for a year, and nothing ever happened. And we were at a meeting one night, and Joel Gentry said, you're going to do stadium events with young people. Just right out of his mouth, it came. The next morning, Dulles Independent School District called us and said, you can have that stadium. We had three months. We were a small church. We had two people on staff in the office, me and one other person. And God said, you're going to do a stadium event? This makes no sense. But we pulled off a stadium event in three months, and 4,500 people came, and a lot of kids got saved, and it was marvelous. So sometimes you can't fathom what God is saying to do that you're supposed to do it. You know, what if Mary said no? And we're thinking, well, the people in the Bible, do they even have that option? Oh, yes, they did. They're just people like us. They're just people like us. She could have, she could have said, no, I, I, can't, I just can't. I can't do that. No. I'm scared of you, angel, and this doesn't sound reasonable to me, and what will people think if I get pregnant? But I've been pure, and what what about, you know, and she could have had a million objections. Would Jesus not have been born? No. Somebody else would have been chosen, but she wouldn't have been a part of the story. (laughs) See, I don't want people taking my place. I I want the story that God has written for my life to complete. (laughs) I don't want chapters to be unwritten because I said no. No. And so not just about what if Mary says no, what if you say no? What if you say no? And see, none of us want to say no, God. No. Mm-mm. Like Ezra, you know, when, you know, when Ezra learned the little no thing, you know, he used to just reach out his hands. And then all of a sudden, a while back, he learned no. And you'd go, Ezra. <laughs> and we're like, don't do that no thing. But see, do we do that to God now? Maybe we don't want to say no, God. No way, Jose, or no way, Yahweh, okay? (laughs) But our resistance, our reluctance, our 5,000 questions, our hesitation, our procrastination, our excuses, they're just simply nonverbal no's. (laughs) And sometimes we don't really even think we are saying no. We think we are just reciting facts. We're reciting the truth. But if our facts don't line up with how God sees a thing, it is not the truth. It it is that our truth thing. You know that phrase that we all hate, that that all the the snowflakes say? You know, it's my truth. It's my truth. Okay, and we don't like that, but sometimes we have our truth because it's not his truth. You know, Easy and I had our truth before that phrase was even coined back in 19... 88 and 89, when we began to get prophetic words about how we'd be going into full-time ministry one day. Now, we ministered all the time, but he was in business, and we supported ourselves through his business and, and investments and other things. And so, When God said you're going to want to go into full-time ministry, we're like, that doesn't, that's, no, no, no. We'll just keep doing it the way we're doing it. We minister a lot already. I was teaching two or three Bible studies a week. He was speaking two or three times a month at meetings and ministering to people and the gifts of the Spirit and healing. Like, we'll just keep doing it this way. This is a good way to do it. We like this system. But God says, no, you're going to be in full-time ministry. And we just had never personally had an intention of doing it full-time. We were just going to be in parachurch ministry. You know, there are many organizations that operate alongside the church. Uh, YWAM is one of them. You know, Women's Glow is one of them. Full Gospel Businessman is one of them. Uh, Christ, you know, there's there's all these different organizations, and we were very active in things like that. But once we heard these prophetic words about full-time ministry, we started adjusting to the possibility of it. Okay, but the one thing we did say, because we knew, is that we'd never be pastors, because that, of all things, certainly didn't make sense, because we had experience in all these organizations. He led Love You Houston, a big men's organization. You know, I spoke at women's ministries, but we did not know how to be pastors, and that wasn't our field of expertise, and we wouldn't know what we were doing, and and there were enough churches, so for sure we didn't need to be pastors, and so we would just tell people this. We don't know what God's going to have us do, but for sure we know it's not to start a church, and so, you know, we would just throw that out there, and, you know, it really wasn't us. Like, we're not title people, you know, like, you know, bishop, apostle, pastor. We're just not those kind of people. So we just thought, you know, that's not for us. Yet, all the time, we discipled people. We mentored people. I counseled women. We, we spoke to people. We did all this stuff, but it just wasn't our idea of what a pastor was like. So we had internal nose. You can have external nose and internal nose. You know, in 2007, we got a word from Ed Trout that we were going to have a church on a second floor where you need an elevator to get up to it. And we thought, oh, no. We did a verbal no on that one. No, no, no. Nobody in their right mind wants to do that. So we had a no. So maybe the title of this ought to be Never Say Never, because everything you say never, everything we've said never to, God ends up having us do it. But, you know, David probably thought he would never, as a little shepherd boy out there in the field, be a king. He probably could He couldn't Get that picture of himself see sometimes god tells you you're gonna do something you just don't have a picture of it because you've not seen it before but god sees it in his mind's eye and gideon did not think he was a mighty man of valor but god even called him that and he didn't think he'd be able to win that battle but god had a very unique and specific way for him to do it and so sometimes even the thing he calls you to do is unique but he'll give you specific instructions and so it'll work in a way that is very supernatural even if it's not spectacular Abraham had to move to an unfamiliar place. See, sometimes we have to do things that just weren't in our wheelhouse. It's not what we planned. Jonah ran from God's call, ended up in the belly of a whale because he so much said no, but then he ended up doing what he said no to. Rahab the harlot couldn't see herself as being the savior of her family. She was the shame of, of her family. How was she going to help him out? That wasn't, that wasn't the way people looked at her. And I'm sure when Peter was told, You're gonna fish for men. He thought, What? (laughs) That's a weird phrase. I'm gonna fish for men. Wait, I earn my living fishing. We don't pick men up out of the sea. We pick fish and then we sell them and that's how we live. And so God might say some things that don't make sense to you. You know, the last time I preached about a month ago, it was on don't be dumb. And I used a bunch of D words. And at the very end, I talked about some T words. And I said the next time I was up here, I would go into those. But I'm taking a little detour right now, but I'll do one T word right now. The three T words that I was talking about were transform lives. This is what this ministry does. Train leaders and team ministry. Three T's. T to the third power. And I said trans means across. Form means to mold and shape. And I said God wants to go across every pattern, every habit, every belief, every thought, every opinion, every ideology, every philosophy in your life. And if it's not in line with his word or his best for your life, his desire is to shape you and mold you until you can think like him. So you can think like him. But God doesn't usually charge in and start this ruthless revamp. You know, like he's going to mow you down and everything you think, it's going to just squeeze it out of you. He doesn't come in this off-the-charts overhaul or or like he's on this search-and-destroy mission for every thought in your heart. He allows you to co-partner in the process. You invite him to work in an area, and then you line up your mouth with what he's saying, and then you might have to start casting down thoughts and imaginations and feelings and even limitations. Limitations is a big one. Most of us limit ourselves. We say God is limitless. We're made in his image, but, oh, we have big limits. I remember when Easy just told some women in our neighborhood that I would teach their Bible study. I went crazy. I go, what is wrong with you? I have never taught a Bible study. I can't do that. He goes, I know you can. I'm like, I know you're like that. You're Mr. Positive, but I am not you. I am normal. Well, then God later said I wasn't. But I, oh, I can't teach the Bible study. I was, but he told him, he promised these five women whose Bible study teacher was taking a leave of absence that I was going to start teaching them. I had never done this in my life. Never. It was like 1979. we had been married one year. I go, if you keep doing stuff like that, it's not going to be very many more years. But anyway. <laughs> but marry somebody who enhances the call on your life. Marry somebody who makes more out of your life, who doesn't squash you down and limit you. See, he brought out, he saw things in me that I couldn't even see, and then he just stood there resolute till I did it. <laughs> so I was a wreck until that Bible study started. But we had the first meeting and the second meeting and the third meeting. And that's when some of the teachings that you're even getting today, I did the research for. 1979. But I had a no, I had a no when he first said it. So limitations are big in the way we see ourselves. We always limit ourselves. I can't teach about, Alan probably thought, could you ever see yourself speaking in front of people and preaching? No, no. What do you think you can't succeed at? What do you think you can't do? You know, I'm at the place now where if God wants me to do it, some, even if I've never done it before, I can do this. <laughs> can I go negotiate with the Hindu landlords, you know, who are like wheeler dealers? Yes, God said to do it. God told me just what to say to him. I negotiated. I can do whatever he says I can do. I can I can go wherever he says I can go. See, we need to take the limitations off our life. And so we must start casting down things that are in opposition to what God sees about us or says about us. Ed Trout, one time in 2007, he pointed me out at a church in Baytown. He's a, a prophetic man. We've had him speak here. He's a little bit strong in the way he gives his prophetic words. Gentle is not his his strong suit. And um, he just says, "You, ma'am, in the back, stand up, please." I stood up. He goes, "You need to get over your little self." He goes, <laughs> "He goes, God is going to use you teach and teach in seminars, even some out of the country, and you're going to go. No, someone else should go, but no, it's you. So get over yourself and just do what he says." I'm like, "Oh." and I'd never been out of the country teaching but then John opened a door in Bogota, Colombia and I began teaching conferences and seminars in Bogota, Colombia and I went time after time after time for about four, five, six, seven years but I had to get over myself and over my thoughts about myself and so sometimes when he said, you know, get over your little self, sometimes we think so little of ourselves and yet God has big plans and so we need to line up with his vision for our life And so as you do these things and you cast down these thoughts and you allow yourself to agree with God more, your thinking changes, your thinking changes, your can'ts become a can, (laughs) your no becomes a yes. Sometimes you say yes before you even know the terms of the contract. And that's exactly what you need to do when it comes to God, because your life won't be transformed until your thinking is transformed. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So you have a choice in the matter you have a choice. I posted on Facebook one time, the choices you make in life are the stepping stones to your future. Make them wisely so you'll have something to stand on. Good choices position you for God's opportunities. God created us all with a free will. See, I can pray for somebody, but it's not like my prayer can make them do something, nor can God. They have a free will. And so you can always choose yes or no. What if Mary said no? Isaiah 7:14 says, Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Didn't call her by name. She had to say yes to put her name in the story. God's perfect will hinges on many choices that you make. His perfect will for your life. Now, John has clarified it before, and he said, you know, there are certain prophetic things on the world stage. There are certain prophetic things that God's going to do with or without you. So you can say no, and you're not going to mess God up. There are certain things that are going to be done with or without you. So if it's not you, he'll choose someone else. And there are men of God who've said, we had a revival at my church, but God made it plain to me that I was not the first choice. Two other pastors said no. There was a young man who came and spoke at our church. And at the end of the service, we were probably about 60 people in the room that day. I had a feeling, Easy had a feeling, and Alan had a feeling. We all stood up and said, please give as generously as you can when we took up the special offering for him. We didn't know why. We'd never done that before. We don't do a big push for money. But all three of us, we just kept taking turns coming up and saying, please be as generous as you can. We just feel that God wants us to to sow into this ministry. By the time he left that morning, uh, our little Small group had $10,000, and we presented him a $10,000 check. It was the largest single check that we had given to a visiting minister. And we began to talk to him afterwards, and it turns out three businessmen, three well-off businessmen, had promised him financial support to meet some needs in his ministry, and for some reason, they just didn't do what they said. Don't not do what you say around me. I really don't like that. I mean, I have stood up before and said, you told these kids you were going to do X, and this is why they don't trust anybody, and X you better do. (laughs) See, your word needs to be a good word and a right word and a true word. And even if it's to your harm or your detriment, you need to keep your word to people. But three businessmen who were wealthy and could obviously afford it told him they were going to help him and did nothing, did not follow through. And God chose this little old church on the corner of a strip center, which is where we were, to give $10,000, which was the amount that three businessmen had promised him. So they said no, but we said yes. And I am so glad that God chose us to get a yes. And so God's perfect will hinges on the choices of men. His, His first choice was them, and they would have been blessed, but instead it was us, and we got blessed. Now, if Mary said no, Jesus would have been born, like I said, but her name and Joseph's name would not have been in the story. But since Mary said yes, since she said yes, let's go to Matthew 1. In Matthew 1, we have the genealogy of Jesus. Genealogies are hard to read. You know, it's just like sentence after sentence. So-and-so begot, so-and-so, and so-and-so and so begot, so-and-so, and so-and-so and so begot, so-and-so. So y'all are in the New Testament, right? And y'all, y'all do the begots? Okay, okay. Y'all just sort of skip over the begots? And uh, oh, you're not in, okay, you're not doing those, pa- those chapters soon, okay? <laughs> the Thursday Bible study we will get into the begots okay? And you're like, what's a begot? Okay. But Jesus's lineage through his legal father, Joseph, is traced in Matthew 1, so that we can see his right to the throne of David. Now, four women, it's not just men in there, four women are mentioned, Tamar and Rahab. Now, they were both prostitutes, so it doesn't matter about your shady past. You can still be counted in God's story. Ruth was in there. She was a foreigner, a Moabite. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter where you're from or what your ethnicity is or what your background is. You can still be counted in God's story. Bathsheba was in there and she was a beautiful woman, but she was also an adulteress. And guess what? She got counted in God's story. So you're not disqualified. But a fifth woman is also mentioned and the fifth woman is Mary. And so if you look through the scripture, I'm not going to go into it today for the sake of time, but you'll have so-and-so begot so-and-so, and it's meant so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so. And it just means those are the, that's the genealogical lineage. But when it gets to her, it says, and Mary of whom was born Jesus, of whom is from the Greek feminine pronoun. It is not referring to Joseph there. It's indicating that Jesus was the physical child of Mary, but Joseph was not his physical father. Not his physical father. Marriages in those days were arranged by the parents. Can you imagine that? My mom and dad get to pick who I'm going to marry. Let's just think about that for a moment. Contracts were negotiated determining the dowry or the marriage gift or the bride price how much would be given to the father of the young woman. So basically, don't go ask for that woman's hand unless you got some money to give her daddy. (laughs) And maybe depending on how much is how much he's going to choose you. But the parties were considered married once the bride price was given to the father. They were considered married. And they were referred to as husband and wife. So don't get confused when you're reading about some of these stories and you go, but wait, uh, I thought the, the timing doesn't seem right. You need to understand their custom. They were referred to as husband and wife, but they did not live together yet. They did not sleep together, but yet they were referred to as husband and wife. It is what we read of in the Bible called a betrothal period, the betrothal period. And the bride during this period lived with her parents. The groomed lived with his. This period lasted about a year. And during that time, the groom had to get a place for them to live, get a home ready for his bride. And also during this waiting period, he was ensured that her pledge of purity concerning herself was true. Because if he said, this is the woman I want, but they don't sleep together, but then three months later, she begins to have a little pregnancy bump, he'll know something went on that she is not telling him. And so therefore that year was also to ensure that her promise of purity was true. And so if she was found to be pregnant during this time, She obviously misrepresented herself, and then on those grounds alone, the marriage was annulled. Little Jewish history. So if the bride's purity bore out, though, the husband or the bridegroom would return to the house of the bride's parents at an undisclosed time and lead his bride and all her attendants, who need oil in their lamps, back to his house in a great processional march for the marriage festivities. And then, and only then, they would physically consummate the relationship and begin to live together. So, Mary and Joseph were in this one-year betrothal period. They were in the middle of it when Mary was found to be with child. Joseph knew he had not been with her. So, it appeared, it appeared she had been unfaithful. This woman who says yes to God, now it appears that she's the center of sinners. Can you imagine his heartbreak? Can you imagine his disappointment in his bride-to-be? but he was a kind man. So here's some choices that came into place. He was a good man and he chose not to bring her before the elders at the city gate, which he was allowed to do as he had a right to do, for then she could have been stoned had he made that choice. But he just decided to do things the quiet way and he was gonna divorce her quietly. And sometimes we make decisions but God will intervene. So Joseph went to bed one night. He had a dream that night. And in it, an angel told him that Mary's condition was not caused by a man, but by the Holy Spirit. How do you believe that? How do you believe that? The same way you believe when God says, yeah, you got a cancerous tumor in your stomach, but I'm going to heal you. The same way you believe that my son who's, or my brother who's cutting himself and driving on the streets of Lafayette, the same way you believe he's going to be saved. See, how do you believe such a crazy thing? If God says it, believe it. So in the dream, the angel told him that Mary's condition was caused not by a man, but by the Holy Spirit. He had a spiritual dream. Many of you have had them today. Now, not every dream is spiritual. Some dreams are too much pizza. Some dreams is your overactive imagination. Some dreams is your own desires. And so we have to sort them out and get wise counsel. But Joseph had a choice. Now, he was also told that the child would be unique and that he would name his, him Jesus and he would save his people from their sins. I mean, the auntie just keeps getting up there. <laughs> he was reminded that the prophet Isaiah had declared 700 years earlier that a virgin would be with child. Sometimes you need to know your scripture to know how to interpret the last thing that happens. So you have a dream? Well, does it line up with scripture? So we can't forget the word. Now, Mary's miraculous conception fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. And here's this man just minding his own business, trying to be a good man, wanted to put her away quietly, didn't want to make a big deal of it, didn't want this this woman stoned, even if she had been unfaithful. God chooses them to bring the Son of God into the world. Now, for Mary, there would be misunderstanding in the community. Joseph had a dream, but the people didn't. They were going to still be thinking what they were thinking, (laughs) There might be gossip in the marketplace. When she walked by, phew, <laughs> he's still with her, but you know. <laughs> but Joseph wanted to remain firm on the truth that was revealed to him. You know, God might show you something, but it'll be tested. And people might go, Are you sure God said? <laughs> did God really say? Ooh, did God really say? When did that first start? Back in the garden? The devil has tried that then, and he'll try that now, and he tries that all the time. Did God really? Are you sure God said it? It's been five years. Wait, it's been 10 years. Are you sure God said it? Joseph remained firm on the truth that was revealed to him so he could accomplish God's will for his life. Choices. Choices. As soon as Joseph woke up, he obeyed. He immediately took Mary into his home, which violated the customs of the day. They weren't finished with the one-year betrothal period. They didn't do it the normal way. I'm not normal. Some things aren't normal. He didn't wait for the one-year period to end. He chose what was best for her. He did not consummate the marriage, however, until after Jesus' birth. Joseph exhibited love, mercy, kindness, obedience, self-control, All the fruit of the Spirit that can be talked about last week. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. This was not true. He was a ruler. He didn't want anyone else taking his place. He didn't want preeminence from another person. He wanted to kill the child. then being divinely warned in a dream, another dream, that they should not return to Herod. They departed for their own country another way. You notice their choice of gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh was just as important as their choice to go and follow the star and their other choice not to report to Herod. There were a lot of choices to be made. We have choices all along the way. I chose Jesus years ago, but I have choices every day. See, some things I don't have to choose again because I'm so resolute that I already know what my choice is, but sometimes things come my way and I have to make another choice, and I have to choose this way or that way, and I have to choose this one or that one. And so choices will continue to come, and you need God's leadership and guidance on every one of them. And so they had a choice of gifts. They had a choice to go. They had a choice not to report to Herod. The gold that is referred to there, just for a little bit of symbolism for a moment, the gold symbolizes in the Bible deity, purity, and great worth we're to be purified like gold, we're to come forth more precious than gold. There's a lot of scriptural allusions to, to gold, and it always symbolizes purity and worth. The frankincense mentioned here, it was an ingredient that was in the anointing oil when they anointed the priest for service, when they anointed someone for healing. Uh, frankincense was part of the anointing oil, and so it symbolizes a priestly function and a prayer to God on behalf of people. The myrrh, M-Y-R-R-H not murmur, but myrrh, was an ingredient used in burial. It's an embalming ingredient, and so it symbolized death, and so Jesus would one day die, and we need to die to self, but there was symbolism behind each one of these gifts, and so all of them had a symbolic meaning, but they also had a practical one. Put Matthew back up there, and we just finished with 12. Let's do 13, 14, and 15. So when they had departed, the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. See, sometimes there are hidden things going on behind the scenes and we don't know them, but God will make it plain. If you keep following after God and seek him, he will make plain what has been hidden. Every hidden thing will be exposed. Everything in darkness will come to light if you just stay with him. And so when he arose, he took the young child, this is referring to Joseph, and his mother by night, and he departed for Egypt. And he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. How'd they live in Egypt? Joseph was a carpenter maybe he did some carpentry work but they were sort of had to be a little bit incognito there and i don't know if the egyptians were all that big on hiring him and so many people say some scholars say, that the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh had such great value that they helped support them while they were in this foreign land until they could come back safely to where they were supposed to be. And so God makes provision even in the wilderness times. He makes provision in the desert. Even if he calls you to a place that doesn't seem like, oh my God, I don't want to go there, he'll take care of you there. Go there and I will take care of you. And so their gifts may have saved Jesus's life. And so what you choose what the wise men chose does make a difference. Every choice you make makes a difference. Somebody wrote this into Ann Landers. Some of you don't know who Ann Landers is. In. She, she's an advice columnist that was published in many of the newspapers when we had, you know, paper and ink newspapers. And um, 25 years ago, I, I cut this out, and um, somebody wrote to Ann Landers, do you know what would have happened if there had been three wise women instead of three wise men? They would have asked directions. They would have arrived on time. They would have helped deliver the baby. They would have cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and brought way more practical gifts. But, you know, there weren't three necessarily. There's three gifts mentioned, but there's not necessarily three men. It's not in the Bible anywhere. It's just tradition is grown to say that. We sing kings songs about three wise men, but really there were just wise men. We don't know how many, but we do know there were three gifts. And so I just want to close by saying, we have choices to make every day. Just like Cammie said, we have choices to make how we're going to reply to somebody. We have choices to make at the cashier when it's so slow and the line is long and the girl doesn't know what she's doing, how we're going to act. Are we going to tap our foot and make her know how upset we are? Or are we going to be kind to her? There was a lady the other day at Walmart. And I mean, everybody was just being weird to her. And she was just, she answered with such kindness. And I walked up and I go, you amaze me. I go, you've answered every single person with such kindness. And she goes, I really try. Thank you so much. See, sometimes people just need a kind word. You can make that choice. And so I had to choose Jesus, but I have to still choose Jesus every day. I have to choose words of life because it's real easy to just let come out of my mouth what I'm feeling at the moment, even if it's not so great. I have to choose to agree with what God says about me, even if it seems unlikely. Even if I feel a limitation, I just have to cast that limitation off and go, wait. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If he says I can, I can. I have to choose to say yes, even when I can't figure it all out. Even if I don't, even if he's given me one step, but I don't know the other steps that I'm gonna to have to take after that. Even if I have trouble seeing myself the way God sees me. And so I want you to have a wonderful week, have a wonderful Christmas, make wise choices. I hope you get good gifts. I hope they're worth something. You're clapping, you're, you have gifts in mind that you want, Okay. And so, Father, we just thank you for the gifts of the Spirit. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the gifts of the Spirit that he dispenses freely, that you are a gift-giving God. We thank you for every person of the sound of my voice, God. I just thank you that you will bless them and their families, give them peace and joy in this Christmas season. And Father, keep and protect them in all their ways. And Father, let us begin to choose you and choose your ways. Take the limitations off our life, line up our thinking with yours, and in all our ways acknowledge you and you will direct our paths. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.